Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 18. Alright people, look alive, Sam said as she strapped on her bulletproof vest and addressed the men and women before her. Today is the day we bring down the most deadly criminal enterprise in Miami. The plane will be here at 6 a.m., We'll have a bird in the sky in case Carter tries to flee, and we'll have men on the ground, hiding behind the trees in these woods next to the Clearport Strip. Sam had a map of the area spread out over a large table as she gave out the directions. These men are ruthless. I want you to be sharp today. Stay focused. I want every agent in this division to make it home to their families tonight. I don't want any casualties. We haven't come this far to have an end with dead suspects. Let's try and keep this thing clean, by the book. We don't want to give them any room to get off on a technicality. Let's load up. She grabbed her gun off the table and holstered it as she made her way through the Miami field office. Today was the day her career will be made. She walked briskly through her halls, and as her partner, Agent Jacobs, rounded the corner, he aligned by her side. He handed her a vanilla latte as they exited the building. You ready to be Agent Tiffany Gamble again? He asked. I've been undercover so long that I forgot that was my real name, Sam said as they entered the unmarked SUV. I can't wait to see the look on Carter's face when he has my cuffs around his wrists, or that pretty little bitch of a wife he chose. Agent Jacobs pulled away from the field office with SWAT and a 20-person DEA team following them. It was time to take down the cartel. Zaire stood in the bathroom, gripping both sides of the sink as his head hung low. He was ashamed of himself. He was about to lose a brother today. Zaire had tossed and turned all night, thinking about his betrayal to Carter. Their bond was more than friendship. They couldn't be closer, even if they shared the same bloodline. Carter had fed Zaire when he was starving. He had protected him, nurtured him. Carter had been the single force in his life that had molded him into the man he had become. He owed Carter everything, but instead, he was showing him the ultimate form of disloyalty. Zaire looked up at himself, and rage took over him. How he had been so stupid to get himself in this position in the first place was beyond him. He should have never allowed himself to love Breeze. It was his affection for her that forced him to put her well-being before his honor. The feds knew that. They banked on that. Either he got them to Carter or they arrested her on drug charges. 
Sacrificing what he stood for was the only choice he could make. He couldn't let his wife go through that, so it was Carter who had to take the fall. Zaire told himself that Carter would do the same feels me or more, but even as the thoughts entered his mind, he knew they were false. There was no question about Carter's character. He was real, through and through, a real street nigga with je ne sais quoi. <laughs> okay, look, I told y'all about how I took French instead of Spanish because my mom didn't stop me, and I thought I was going to be the baddest motherfucker on the block. And one thing we learned while I was taking French was what je ne sais quoi means. Je ne sais quoi literally means I don't know what. Je ne sais quoi. I don't know what. So, when you say somebody has je ne sais quoi, you are saying, I don't know what it is about them that I like so much. Basically, you're saying, I don't know what. They have that certain je ne sais quoi. They have that certain, I don't know what, but I like it. You usually have to follow up behind that, or you just kind of trail off into the wind with your words. They have that certain... Je ne sais quoi. Like that. So, he was real, through and through. A real street nigga with I don't know what. Carter was a rare breed. There it is in English. Je ne sais quoi. Now you know. Je ne sais quoi means I don't know what. Stop using it. As a way to say the niggas is debonair or suave or whatever it may be. I mean, I know that that's what it's devolved into now. But it means, I don't know. I don't know. What? I don't know what. Hey, baby, guess what? Je ne sais quoi. Hey, baby, what are we having for dinner? Je ne sais quoi. Hey, is Carter a real nigga? Je ne sais quoi. It's like on uh, Dexter's Laboratory where he was, where he did a uh, uh, a science experiment on himself where all he could say when he spoke French because he had a French test. And so he taught himself mnemonically to speak French and the record started skipping on uh, omelette du fromage and that's all he could say. And the girls thought he was the hottest thing on the block because he could speak French and all he was saying was omelette with cheese. It's the same way that if you mouth olive oil to somebody from across the room, if you don't say the words and you just move your lips and you say olive oil, it looks like you're saying I love you. I know you tried it. Yeah. Je ne sais quoi. Shit. Zaire's rage caused his chest to feel empty. He felt queasy. In his frustration, he reached up and pulled the entire medicine cabinet off the hotel wall. The mirror shattered as it hit the floor. He couldn't even look at his reflection without feeling overwhelming disgust. Zaire took his time answering because he knew who stood on the other side. He walked over to it, wearing nothing but his Calvin Klein boxer briefs, and opened the door. Today's the day, Sam said. Zaire said nothing as he turned and walked back into the room. She entered along with Agent Jacobs. I've done my part, he said as he flopped down on the bed. I'm done. I don't need to be there to watch it all go down. Actually, you're not done. There's still one thing left to do. Since Estes refused to do direct business with Monroe, 
We don't have anything on him that'll stick. I need you to wear a wire and go to the Diamond Estate. Get him talking about today's exchange, Sam instructed. I said I'm done, Zaire stated. Sam nodded. Okay. She picked up her walkie-talkie and said, Send local PD to Flint, Michigan to retrieve Breeze Rich. Conspiracy to distribute a controlled substance. Possession of a controlled... Wait, Zaire shouted. He was between a rock and a hard place. I'll do it. I thought so, Sam said smugly. She turned to Jacobs. Wire him up. Sam hid behind a large tree and looked down at the members of her team awaiting the plane's arrival. Even in the early morning, the Florida heat was suffocating. Sweat covered her entire body under her clothes and vest. Where are they? Jacob's voice came through her earpiece, asking the same question she had been asking herself. Patience is a virtue, Jacobs, Sam replied, keeping her eyes straight forward. The sound of an approaching aircraft could be heard before it ever came into view. Sam held her breath in anticipation until she finally saw a small aircraft descending from the sky. Hold steady. Move on my mark, she whispered into her headset. She held up a closed fist to the other agents, keeping them at bay. I always wonder, when you see those movies or TV shows where they got like SWAT or Army Rangers or whatever the fuck, and somebody does the hand signals, the who, ha, who, ha, who, ha, who. I always wonder, was there one person who missed that class? And so they don't know what they're saying? I mean, obviously, when you hold up the fist, that means stop. Anybody knows what the fist means. Even in a fight, if I hold up the fist, you better shut the fuck up. But the fist, hand up, three fingers, jab fingers to the right, two fingers up, point at yourself, point fingers towards. Yeah, they weren't there for that. So they're just going to storm in Leroy Jenkins and get shot. She wanted the aircraft to be completely turned off before they made their move. She waited. Five minutes, then ten, then fifteen. Where are they? She whispered. Where's Jones? Jacob's voice came through her earpiece again. Isn't he supposed to meet the plane to pick up the shipment? Sam didn't answer because she didn't know what the hell was going on. She knew Carter. She had spent the past three years getting to know him. He executed plans with precision. Something was awry. Yeah, that something is probably, you know, I don't know. That phone that for some stupid fucking reason you left at Carter's house that probably had all your fucking plans on it. Me and Moore probably went right back to that phone and went through it and found what she needed to find because it's a flip phone and then told Carter. A flip phone, the lock code is literally 0000 or it's unlocked. Let's take the plane and find out where Carter is later, Sam said. When she heard the pilot cut the engine and saw the staircase lowered to the ground, she opened her fist. Move, move! They swarmed the plane, running full speed with guns drawn. Sam's adrenaline pumped as she shouted, DEA, on the ground now! The pilot came off the plane, armed and with hands raised. This is a search warrant to search this aircraft, she said, handing him the papers. Sam rushed up the steps and into the cockpit to find an empty plane. Where are the drugs, she asked, confused. She rushed down the steps and confronted the pilot. Where are they, she shouted, enraged. 
Where is who? The pilot asked. I don't know what you're talking about. Take them in, Sam said, and tear this plane apart until you find something. So if you don't find anything, that means you just tore apart an entire plane. Are you going to pay for that? Like, if you don't find shit, are they supposed to, do they fix that? I doubt it because they've been storming the black folks' houses since the beginning of time and they never fix shit. She turned to Agent Jacobs, frantic. Are we picking anything up on the wire from Zaire? She asked. She was flabbergasted. Yeah, he's walking into the Diamond Estate as we speak, Jacob said. This wasn't his doing. He hasn't tipped anyone off. Damn it, Sam said as she threw up her arms. I'm making this arrest today. Carter ordered the shipment. We just have to figure out the real location for the exchange. Get me to the surveillance van now. I need to be on the other end of that wire. When Moreau's guards saw Zaire's face, they let him into the gates without second guessing. It only made the pit in the bottom of his stomach deepen. He was a snake, and he knew it. Monroe and Carter trusted him with their lives. They gave no one this much access to them, but he had earned the privilege. He drove down a long driveway and exited the car. Taking the steps two at a time, he approached Monroe's front door. He hesitated on knocking. He stood there, conflicted, but he knew it was too late to turn back. The exchange is done. Carter's probably already in handcuffs, Zaire thought, an extreme sadness filling him. I might as well finish this. He rang the bell. Moments later, Monroe opened the door. What's good, bro? Monroe greeted him. It wasn't even a question as to why Zaire was at his door before noon. Zaire was family and was always welcome. Come in. I've got the chef whipping up breakfast. Zaire stepped inside and followed Monroe into the dining room. I was just telling Carter to call you. It's been a minute since we sat down and broke bread together. Perfect timing, Monroe stated. We were just discussing the shipment that's coming in today. Zaire couldn't hide his shock when he saw Carter sitting coolly at the table, sipping coffee, while reading the Wall Street Journal. I thought you had that business to take care of this morning, bro, Zaire asked. Carter nodded. It's still on. Monroe took his seat and added, this paranoid nigga and his extra security measures. He switched the shit up. He doubled back to Estes after y'all left the golf course and had him put the bricks on a 16-wheeler the same day. They'll be there this afternoon. I'll fly out to meet the driver and store the bricks in our warehouse, Carter said. Zaire cringed because he knew the wire had picked all that up. What's wrong, Zai? You look like you've seen a ghost, Monroe observed. I'm good. I'm good. Drank a little too much last night. I need to get some food in me, he said. Carter frowned. Since when you drink to get faded, he asked. Feeling the need to change the focus, he said. Breeze is pregnant. Got me thinking if I'm going to be a good father and all that. This life. This game. The treachery, he said, feeling like scum. I need to take the edge off. Carter stood. My man, a honey grand, he said jovially. He walked around and embraced Zaire, giving him a firm pat on the back. Congrats. Ah, oh, they know you got a wire now, nigga. That's dope, Zaire, Monroe added. That's love right there. I can't believe B didn't tell me. We're going to have to celebrate. Throw a huge party. Yeah, well, before you bring the entire city out, let me go back west and handle this business, Carter stated. After this, we're all out. We're done with this street shit. We got babies. We're fathers. It's time we hang this shit up. 
It's only so long we're going to be able to run this game before it destroys us. We have a responsibility to know when enough is enough. Let's not make the same mistake as our father. Let's learn from that and leave gracefully. Zaire was crushed. The magnitude of Carter's words and the timing of it all was so ironic, Zaire knew he would never forgive himself for the chain of events that were about to occur. You need help out there with the shipment? You good? Monroe asked. Nah, I got it. One last flip, Carter said. One last flip, Monroe confirmed. Yeah, they're saying that Zaire flipped sides. Y'all see that, right? Me and Moore stood, gazing out the window, chuckling as Magda and CJ built a snowman in the front yard. She was so far removed from the streets and the isolation of these mountains, and it was comforting. She felt so lucky to have survived everything she had been through. To have another chance of real love and to have her son safe felt so good. Me and Moore had come out of the fire molded instead of burned, and she was grateful. What happened to the scars? Like, seriously, nobody mentioned them? Or did somebody just tell them, yo, if y'all mention her scars, we gonna kill you? Because Fly Boogie shouldn't have fallen in love with somebody who got whipped with a chain. Let me tackle this laundry, she whispered to herself. She knew that Magdalena would have done it, but she was trying to settle into this domestic routine. If she kept herself busy, she could never mess up the good things she had going. She planned to fill her days with dutiful mom and wife work so she would never fall back into her habits as a murder mama. She was done with that. Everything she needed was right here. Carter would be home later that evening, and he had assured her that after this last run, he would step away from the game as well. Mia Moore went to the massive laundry room and began to sort through the dirty clothes. She picked up a pair of her jeans and shook them out. Her eyes widened when the cell phone she had found in Sam's drawer fell to the floor. Her heart skipped a beat. She didn't know how she had forgotten to go through it the other day, but today she knew she wouldn't be able to fight the curiosity. She picked it up, flipping it open. Damn it, it's dead, she thought. She rushed to the kitchen and pulled up from one of the drawers. Inside were all types of electronic cords and extras. None of them fit. She knew that her phone wasn't compatible. Magda has an older model phone, Mia Moore thought, as she rushed out the back door. An in-law apartment set above the main house. It was where Magda retreated to after her shift was over. Mia Moore crept inside and quickly located her charger. She took it and went back to the main cabin. She didn't know why she was so pressed to go through Sam's phone. She was confident that Carter had ended things, but something still gnawed at her. Call it whim's intuition, but Mia Moore had always been able to sniff out a snake. Except for Zaire. And Ace. After waiting a few minutes, the phone finally powered on and fly boogie. After waiting a few minutes, the phone finally powered on and Mia Moore went through the text messages. They had all been erased. She then went through a call log. There were five calls to 202-555-0931. Each call lasted no more than seven minutes. What the hell? Mia Moore thought, finding the call log extremely odd. All of the calls took place during the middle of the night, probably while Carter was asleep. Who was she talking to? What area code is 202? Mia Moore pulled out her own phone and looked it up. Washington, D.C. Her gut screamed. Mia Moore's heart pounded in her chest as she pressed the call button. She bit her lip as the ringing filled her ear. You have reached the Drug Enforcement Administration. 
Please enter the access code to the agent you're trying to reach. An automated voice filled the phone. Mia Moore gasped as she dropped the phone. Her hand covered her mouth in disbelief. She's a fed. Oh my God, she's an undercover fed, Mia Moore thought as tears filled her eyes. There was no telling how much information Sam had gathered on Carter, but Mia Moore knew that she had been around long enough to build a successful case. Mia Moore immediately called Carter. Come on, answer, answer, she urged frantically. His voicemail picked up. She knew he was probably at the airport. He always turned off his phone as soon as he stepped foot inside. She checked the clock. His flight didn't bore for another two hours. She called Monroe. Again, she reached a voicemail. What the fuck, she shouted. Zaire was her next try. Voicemail. Mia Moore felt like she was losing her mind. She stormed into the room Sam had occupied. She had never finished taking all her things out. She went through the entire room, tracing her hands around the baseboards, looking for microphones and cameras. She emptied drawers, opened envelopes, all to come up with nothing. In frustration, she swept everything off the nightstand, knocking it over accidentally. How convenient. A large yellow envelope was taped to the bottom of it. Miamore pulled it off and emptied its contents on the bed. If you're an agent, why don't you keep this shit with you? At, at In your purse? Somewhere. I don't go through my wife's purse until she immediately or until she instructs me to get something out of her purse. Otherwise, why? Like, I'll hold her purse while she does something, but I'm not going through that motherfucker. Like, why? You could hide everything in your purse. We'd never know. A USB drive fell out. Mia Moore rushed to her laptop and inserted the drive. Oh my God, she whispered. Over a thousand documents and pictures were on the file. She opened them, one after another. There was enough material to put Carter in jail. Mia Moore opened an untitled document and read it. I have concluded there is a criminal enterprise happening around Mr. Jones. However, I am unable to link him directly to it. It is imperative I catch him exchanging massive quantities of narcotics in order to seal this case. Whoever is arrested at this type of exchange will be brought up on kingpin charges. I will continue my investigation until I can find out when the next shipment will be. Agent Tiffany Gamble. I forget that's my real name. Agent Tiffany Gamble signed on this document. It ain't like she put Sam. The next shipment is today, Mia Moore whispered, tears coming to her eyes. How had this happened? How had Carter let the feds get so close? Mia Moore felt like her world was crumbling and sobbed seat from her lips. With this much evidence, somebody has to take the fall. Whoever shows up to the exchange, the charges will fall on that one person. That can't be Carter, she thought. Mia Moore wiped her eyes, grabbed her handbag, and rushed out of the house. CJ, she shouted as she approached him. CJ, come here, she said. He could see the tears that she had tried to hide. You okay, Ma? he asked. Magdalena stopped and looked at her in concern. Senora? Mia Moore nodded. Mommy's fine, baby. I need you to listen to me. I love you. I love you more than life itself. You're the best thing that has ever happened to me. You're the best part of me. I'm with you even when we aren't near each other. You hear me, my prince? I'm in here, Mia Moore said as she touched his chest. And I love you. I want you to know that. I love you more than anyone else in the world. You be a king, okay? CJ looked unsurely and felt his own tears forming in his eyes. 
This felt too much like goodbye. I have to do something, and you won't understand it until you're older. But just know, I did it for you and your father, for our family. You're coming back, right? CJ asked. Yeah, baby. One day, she answered. But until then, I'm always close, because love crosses all distance. Where will I be until you see me again? In here, CJ answered as he pointed to his chest. This is awful dramatic. Like, you hear all this and you're like, I'm going to go to this shipment and I'm going to do what exactly? What's your plan? Okay. Mia Moore pulled him into her for a long hug and she kissed the top of his head. You're a king, Carter Jones Jr., and I love you. She turned to Magdalena. Take care of him. Carter will be by to get him soon. Mia Moore hopped into the car and took off down the mountain. She picked up her phone and dialed the number to the driver who was scheduled to pick Carter up at LAX. Carter didn't trust many people, but he always kept an ally in cities he frequented. Hello? A man answered. Hi, Amon. This is Mia Moore, Carter's wife, she said. How you doing? The guy replied. I'm fine. I'm calling to let you know you don't need to pick Carter up today. I'll be in town. I'll scoop him up myself, she said. She had no intentions of getting Carter. She'll be in town, all right. She needed Carter's schedule thrown off to delay his arrival at the warehouse. Sounds good. Tell him to hit me when he touches down, the man said. Will do, Mia Moore replied before hanging up. Mia Moore raced to the airport. She had to board the quickest flight and get to the warehouse before Carter. She would take the fall for him. She knew he would be better on the outside with their son. Carter was too good of a man to shoulder the weight of the entire cartel. This wasn't supposed to be his karma. Me, on the other hand, this is exactly what I deserve. She wasn't a good person. She was only good for Carter, and this would be her last gift to him. His freedom. Carter arrived at LAX and walked out of the airport. He had no luggage to retrieve, so he was making good time. He still had an hour to make it across town. To his surprise, his man wasn't waiting for him as they anticipated. He picked up his phone to call his ride when he noticed that Mia Moore had called him more than ten times. Before he could press her name to call her back, Zaire's name flashed across the screen. I just touched down, fam. Let me hit you back. This nigga's late. I'm out here waiting. Don't go to the warehouse, Carter, Zaire said. Carter heard the stress in Zaire's voice. In all their years working together... He had never felt an inkling of distrust towards Zaire. You gotta say something after that, Zaire, because I don't like the direction my imagination is taking me, Carter said sternly. Switch up the plans, Zaire said. Just whatever you do, don't go to that meeting. Carter felt his temperature rise as anger overtook him. Nigga, be clear. You talking around the shit. Spit that shit out, Zaire. I raised you, homie. So I know you're not saying what I think you're saying, Carter said. His volume was low, but the tone of his voice was threatening. He had never come at Zaire sideways. Zaire had never given him a reason to, but today, on this sunny L.A. day, he felt the ties of their friendship changing. Their brotherhood was turning sinister because Carter knew what Zaire's next words would be. He hoped and prayed Zaire said something different. Come on, Zai. Say something, homie. Say anything other than what I'm thinking, Carter thought. His eyes watered from a mixture of hurt and anger. Zaire's silence was admission enough. Say that shit, Zaire. Tell me you ain't been laying down with pigs, Carter said. He held his tone steady, but in person, he was breaking down. 
This was his little man, his right hand. Zaire had been a brother to him before he had ever discovered he had family in Miami. They say soulmates can come in the form of many things, not only between a man and a woman. Zaire and Carter forged a friendship on something deeper, and this new revelation of deceit was ripping a hole straight through Carter's heart. Be clear, Zaire. Be the nigga I taught you to be. What the fuck is you saying to me? Carter demanded. DEA is waiting at the warehouse. It's a setup, Zaire finally said. I fucked up. Yeah, you did, Carter answered. Click. Carter felt... Wait. How are you clicking on a smartphone? That's one thing we lost when we went from regular phones to to flip phones to smartphones. At least with flip phones, you could click and shut hard. Be like, that motherfucker, click. Click it hard. Plow. Click. Click. Motherfucker, click. With smartphones, it's like that motherfucker punched the button as hard as you can so they know. That's one thing, like maybe the only thing I wish I could do from the 80s and the 90s. I couldn't do it in the 80s because I was only like between 0 and 10. And I couldn't do it in the 90s because I really didn't have the opportunity. But I wish I could go to a phone booth and just be mad. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the receiver on the on the little clicker thing. Just, ah, da, 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 motherfucker. Like that kind of thing. Can't do that now. I'm mad. Punch the button. I'm mad. Push hard. I'm mad. Concave. How the fuck they clicking? How they clicking on a cell phone? On an Apple iPhone. How you clicking? Hold on. Motherfucker! Do y'all even hear that? That's that's the most you could do. I'm not even trying to put a finger through a phone. I'm scared of that shit. I'm not... I'm, motherfucker! Mm. <laughs> I am perturbed. Mm. Je ne sais quoi. Mm. Motherfucking goober. Mm. <laughs> that's all you could do. So that click? Nope. Carter felt like he couldn't breathe. He loosened his silk Gucci tie and bent over, placing his hands on his knees. Hands on your knees. Hands on your knees. Let me see you clap your hands. The pain in his gut. The empty feeling. The nausea. He was sick from grief because although Zaire wasn't dead, he was dead to Carter. Right now, me personally, I'm like Carter's feeling low. But the question is, how low can you go? Can you go down low? Can you get it to the flow? How low can you go? Carter couldn't think clearly. He had never had an adversary of this kind. The kind that he loved too much to kill, but hated too much to let live. It was a conundrum. He gritted his teeth as his finger stabbed Mia Moore's name on his phone screen. Carter, she answered frantically. He fucked me, Ma. Zaire is talking, Carter said. He could reveal his hurt to Mia Moore. She was his rib, his wife. She knew exactly how much this had hurt him. I still hate that phrase. His rib. Maybe it's because I eat ribs. I eat those. Sam is a federal agent, Carter, Mia Moore revealed, further unraveling the puzzle. Zaire had introduced him to Sam. He had been setting him up for the past three years. We gotta go, Ma. Pack us some things. You and CJ meet me. It's too late for that, Mia Moore replied sadly. I found Sam's evidence. The cartel is gonna fall. She doesn't have the kingpin yet. She suspects it's you, but she doesn't know for sure. She needs you to make the exchange that you set up today to pin it all on you. She won't find a kingpin. She's getting a queenpin instead. 
I got it, Carter. I'm pulling up to the warehouse now. Take care of my son. I love you. It's all extra credit. Didn't nobody ask you to do this shit. Did nobody ask you to do this shit? Okay, we all figured it out. Zaire done admitted it. We know that these are the feds. Get the fuck back in the car. Get on the plane. Let's go. That's all you have to do. I'm going to take you back to the place that I actually bought in the fucking Bahamas before for some fucking reason I came back home. Her words echoed in his mind. She's getting a queen pin instead. She's getting a queen pin instead. Mia. Mia Moore. His voice boomed through the phone, and he could hear her breathing, but she refused to respond. She didn't need him to talk her out of this. Somebody had to fall from grace. The government had a hard-on for their empire. Carter couldn't take that fall. Monroe had Mo to think about. Breeze was the most innocent of them all. That only left her. She would pay for all their sins. I love you so much. You've taught me how to love someone other than myself. This is me loving you. Just let me do this, Mia Moore said. If you love me, turn around, Ma, Carter said. I can take care of this. We got lawyers for shit like this. Don't be stupid, Mia Moore. Turn around, bright eyes. Every now and then, I get a little bit angry because I can't hang up a phone. Turn around. There's no me without you, Ma. Don't be stupid. This can't happen. What I work so hard for if I couldn't make this shit go away with a little paper? Turn your ass around, Mia Moore. Now. Every now and then I fall apart. And I need you. He was losing it. The universe was working against him today. Throwing more at him than he could take. He had never pleaded for anything in his life, but he was begging her not to do this. Because once done, it couldn't be taken back. Goodbye, Carter. Carter grabbed the first taxi he saw and threw every dollar he had in his pocket through the passenger window. Hey man, what the hell? The cabbie asked, throwing up his hands as the money slapped him in the face. You ever been slapped in the face by money? You ever been slapped in the face by money? Hold on, I'm going to grab some money and slap myself in the face with it. I'm Johnny Knoxville and I'm about to slap myself in the face with money. Ow, fuck! God damn it! Ow! Fuck! Son of a bitch! Oh! I'm just kidding. It doesn't hurt at all. Just slap myself in the face with some money. I mean, worst case scenario, you get a paper cut in your eye, I guess. Like, grow the fuck up. I need a driver for the day. All that's yours if you take me where I need to go. The driver looked at the $100 bill scattered across his front seat. Hop in, he said. Carter climbed inside and leaned his head against the back of the seat. He knew that he wouldn't make it in time, but he had to try. He couldn't let Mia Moore do this, but what he didn't know was that it was already done. I mean, I guess you could get a paper cut in your eye from money, and then that's dirty money, and it's going to cause your eye to get like all infected and shit, and then you'll turn into a zombie or a vampire or something. But other than that, getting slapped in the face with money? Meh. Final chapter. Mia Moore sat, drumming her blood-red nails against a long table that sat in the middle of the warehouse. Bricks on top of bricks sat on the table in front of her. A single tear fell down her cheek as the door to the warehouse began to rise and the DEA agents rushed in. They were fully suited, badges in plain view, and their guns drawn as they filtered inside. Let me see your hands! Hands up! They shouted as they stood in front of her. She sat, legs crossed, in a Carolina Herrera tailored pantsuit. 
Her makeup was flawless, of course, and not a hair was out of place on her pretty little head. This day had been a long time coming. Her downfall. She had always wondered how it would go down and who would have the ball to take her out of the game. She began to chuckle right in the face of law enforcement. I've gone up against some of the biggest gangsters in the world, and you motherfuckers are the ones to take me out, she said as she fell into hysterics. <laughs> Sam came through the crowd, and me and Moore's laugh simmered into a sinister smirk. She began to clap, slowly, exaggeratedly, as she leaned back comfortably. Me and Moore eyed Sam with malice. Bravo, bitch. You deserve a fucking Oscar, me and Moore said. You played your part really well. A little too well for a fed, don't you think? She asked, knowing the agent that fucked her man. Where are the rest of them? Sam asked. Where's Carter? Money? Estes? It's just me. I'm all you get, me and Moore said calmly. Sam turned to the agents behind her. Tear this place apart. Really, I'm going to say, tear this place apart too. Just like the airplane. Everything here is evident. There had been no time to clear the bricks from the warehouse. There was enough cocaine to put me and Moore away for the rest of her life. There was no way that the cartel could get out of this unscathed. Someone had to take the fall, and me and Moore made the decision that it should be her. It was the least she could do for Carter after all he had done for her. He had loved her when she was unlovable, forgiven her for things that were unforgivable. He had crowned her when he should have killed her. Carter was a king, and he deserved to sit on his throne, not rot in a jail cell. I ain't taking a fall for not near one of y'all niggas. Like, my wife would have stopped me. Like that, and ain't it wouldn't have been for reasons like this. He loved me when nobody else loved me, nigga. Please, Fly Boogie loved you. Let's just dead that right now. He had forgiven her for things that are unforgivable. He. Yeah, I guess. I guess. I mean, yeah. Me and Moore knew there was a special place in hell for her, and she accepted that. She would miss Carter and CJ every day, but she honestly believed this was for the best. Carter would take better care of CJ than she could. She loved him so dearly that she was willing to be the sacrificial lamb in order to save their family. Living without them would be the hardest thing she ever had to do but at least they will be living. With her around, there was no telling which of her past skeletons would threaten their existence. Carter could make his exit from the game and raise their son without her. They were better off that way. Sam drew her weapon and approached Mia Moore cautiously. Mia Moore got on her feet, causing Sam to stop momentarily. Even unarmed, Mia Moore's reputation implanted fear in the others. Mia Moore Jones, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. Mia Moore didn't resist as Sam cuffed her. She simply accepted that it was the end of an era. It had been a hell of a ride. She had loved, lost, cried tears of joy and pain. This was it. She always thought she would go out in a hell of gunfire, but she didn't want that. She lived her entire life that way. She wanted her son to be able to come and see her face should he choose a visit. He couldn't do that if she was lying in a grave somewhere. So instead of going out like a G, she simply complied. She tuned Sam out as she read off her rights and then stuffed her into the back of the squad car. She was sure that Carter would do his best to get her off. There would be lawyers, bribes, a lengthy trial. 
He will spare no expense on her behalf. But the confident look in Sam's eyes let Mia Moore know that the government's case was airtight. She wasn't being prosecuted for just her crimes. She would have the entire cartel's history of violence on her back. They were going to fry her, and she would let them. Because as long as they convicted her, they couldn't convict Carter. It was a great sacrifice for a great man who had shown her the greatest love of all. She owed him this. By the time Carter arrived, Mia Moore was gone. He climbed out of the car. Amongst the crowd of reporters who were questioning the agents about what was being dubbed the drug bust of the century. The feds had his bricks of cocaine lined up, showboating the arrest. Carter scanned the place desperately looking for Mia Moore, but in his heart, he knew it was too late. She was gone, and there was nothing he could do about it. Carter gritted his teeth and slid back into the cab, conceding defeat. In the blink of an eye, his entire world had changed. Just yesterday, he had felt on top of the world. He had had everything. Their entire futures mapped out in his head. He had just learned a vital lesson. Tomorrow wasn't promised, and loyalty among men was scarce. After this day, for him, life would never be the same. Monroe heard the sirens first. They were in the distance, probably held up at his armed gate, but he knew they wouldn't be stalled for long. They had come to arrest him, to crumble the empire that had started with his father. Daddy, that's the police, Mo said. Yes, son. Come here, Monroe said as he got down on one knee in front of his child. I want you to always remember that I love you, son. I love you more than the air in my lungs. You're a diamond, and diamonds are forever. You keep that in your mind. We don't fold, son. We don't follow. You're a king. You're bred from kings. Don't cry. Stay strong. Be a man of your word. Be smart. Trust no one but family. And always know that I'm here with you. I'm with you even when I'm not with you because I'm here. Monroe said as he pointed to his son's heart. The sirens grew closer, and Monroe had to pinch the bridge of his nose in order to stop himself from becoming emotional. I'm going to try this shit out. Like, it's never worked for me. Ever. I mean, there's like finishing moves and video games that never worked for me either, so I guess. But still. You understand? Yes, sir, Monroe answered, sticking out his chest slightly in pride. I love you, son. I love you too, daddy. Mo replied. Now go in my bedroom. Put the coat into the panic room and stay inside. Don't come out until your auntie Breeze comes for you. And don't look at the screens on the wall, Mo. You a man of your word, right? Monroe asked. His son nodded. His eyes teared. Don't cry, son. I'm in there. Always, Monroe stressed, pointing at his son's chest. He pulled his son in for a hug and then kissed the top of his head before pushing him towards the room. He pulled out his cell phone and speed dialed Breeze. She answered on the first ring. B, I don't have much time. The feds are here. I need you to come get Mo. He's in the panic room. He's not coming out until you get here, Monroe said. Money, wait, you're talking too fast. The feds, what are you... Just come get my son, B, he said urgently. Take care of him. I love you. Money ended the call and then rushed into his office. He loosened his tie and paced nervously, placing his hands on his head in distress. He wished he could lie down and take the time they were trying to throw at him, but he refused to let them take away more years of his life. They had done that once before. He had told himself once he got out that he was never going back inside. Street legends always died on the throne. His father had died that way. Now, he would too. He rushed to a safe and pulled out an AK-47 with a hundred round drum. He was a one-man army. 
Money wished that this didn't have to play out in front of his son, but it was now or never. The feds were at his front door. If they took him into custody, he knew he would never see another free day in his life. He refused to live on his knees. He would die on his throne before he allowed himself to become a slave to the system. He gritted his teeth as he fought the feelings of anxiety that filled his belly. He made sure he was locked and loaded before walking slowly down the steps. He looked around, knowing it would be the last time he would see this home. It was a place where he had grown up, the Diamond Estate. It was a castle that Carter Diamond had built for his children. Monroe wouldn't disrespect it by having a gunfight inside. He stepped outside on the front porch and walked out into the middle of the circular drive. Flashing red and blue lights approached. As many agents as they sent, you would think they were coming to take down a giant. In a sense, they were. Monroe was a street king. He would not be defeated easily. His ego wouldn't allow it to happen that way. They pulled up a hundred yards away from him and filtered out of their cars. Monroe Diamond, I have a warrant for your arrest, one of them shouted. He didn't hesitate. He sprayed. The AK-47 thundered as he rained bullets down on them. The kickback from the powerful weapon was so strong that he had to brace himself as he gritted his teeth while curling his finger on the trigger. Glass shattered as he shot out the agent's car windows. They cowered under gunfire and quickly returned with some of their own. Even with the high-powered weapon, he was outgunned. There was only one of him. There were a couple dozen of them, and they were firing at him from all directions. The first bullet that hit him took its breath away as a burning sensation spread through his chest. The impact of the bullet knocked him to his knees, but he never let go of the gun. He gritted his teeth as a taste of blood filled his mouth. Bulletproof vest, homie. You you don't have none of those? None? Not a single one? In the place where you got an AK-47 with a hundred round drum, you don't have a bulletproof vest. Make these niggas aim at y'all's heads. What's wrong with y'all? Put down the weapon. Put it down, the feds shouted as they aimed their weapons at him. He spit the blood out of his mouth, but it was futile. It only filled up more. Ah! Monroe screamed in anger. He stood to his feet. You can't kill me. I'm the king of Miami. This is my shit. He staggered to his feet and hugged the trigger, spraying bullets everywhere. Motherfuckers! Bullets riddled the squad cars that sat in the front yard. The federal agents tried to show restraint as they cowered behind their cars, but Monroe wasn't letting up. He had a chopper, and if they wanted to come for him, he wasn't going peacefully. Eventually, they returned fire. It was like the wild, wild west in his front yard. Daddy! Monroe heard Moe's voice, and he turned around, bloody, wounded, as he stared into his son's eyes. He held his head high as he watched tears slide down his son's face. Diamonds are forever. I'm in here, he said as he hit his chest proudly with his free hand. The fear that registered on Moe's face broke Monroe's heart. He never wanted his son to see this part of the game. This was the part that tainted young boys. This was the ugly part of it all. But it was all too late. Moe was witnessing that gangster shit. The agents used this distraction. Really? So the agents are going to fire when they see a kid behind them. The agents used this distraction and fired relentlessly as Monroe's body jerked left, then right from the impact of the bullets. They shot Monroe down as if he were a rabid dog, right in front of his seed, who stood watching it all in horrified shock. Monroe felt his life slipping. It felt as if he were drowning, but his eyes never left his son's. He saw himself in Moe. His life played out like a movie in front of him. 
He saw his parents. He remembered how he had looked up to his father. He had wanted to be just like him. And now, in the last moments of his life, he realized he was. He had died because of the game. A game where there was no wins for anyone. A game where, honestly, in my opinion, this is me talking. They didn't even want him in it. They wanted him to run the realty side. Again, we don't know how this nigga suddenly flipped in the Mecca, but they wanted him to run the, the, the realty of this all. He had died because of the game. A game where there were no wins for anyone. It wasn't what Big Carter wanted for his children, especially one as intelligent as Monroe. It was then that Monroe realized he had played the game of life incorrectly. Big Carter took to the streets so his children would never have to, but instead they had all fallen in his faded footsteps. It was a tragic cycle that had led to the demise of an entire bloodline. The pain began to overwhelm Monroe as he gritted his teeth while gurgling on his own blood. He had never felt anything like this slow burn. All he wanted to do was take a deep breath, to just inhale, but he couldn't. And as he fell face forward into the pavement, heard a familiar voice. It's okay, bro. Just let it go. It all goes away once you just let the streets go. Monroe blinked slowly because he knew his mind had to be playing tricks on him. Mecca was in front of him as clear as day, talking to him, urging him to let go. He choked and he struggled, trying to fight the Grim Reaper as long as he could. It hurt so bad. He couldn't breathe. He couldn't. He couldn't. He just wanted to get air to his lungs, but he just couldn't. I'm dying, he thought. Just let go, money. I'm right here, Mecca's voice said. It won't hurt anymore once you let go. Monroe finally listened as the struggle stopped, and he just lay there as the last shallow breath seeped from his body. Damn, he's right. It doesn't hurt, he thought. A calm passed over him in his final moments. A euphoric feeling swept over him, removing all pain. His crying son was the last thing he saw before permanently closing his eyes. Monroe Money Diamond was no more. With him, the legacy of the cartel would be buried six feet under. This is some bullshit. Like, this is what y'all brought money back for? This was the plan? For real? Nothing about the whole, I feel like Mecca's a part of his son. Like, I feel like Mecca's becoming a part of him. He felt Mecca taking over his body. Him dreaming about what Mecca had, what had happened to Mecca before he came to. Even though he was nowhere near Mecca. All that shit that alluded to him actually being Mecca. And, okay. Sam walked into her apartment feeling victorious. She flipped the light switch. Damn it, she said as she sucked her teeth, realizing her light had blown. She had been undercover for so long that she hadn't darted these doors in months. Hadn't darted these doors? What the fuck? Darted these doors? I'll be surprised if anything works at all. She wiggled the light switch up and down again, to no avail. It had been a long day. Hell, it had been a long three years. All she wanted to do was come home to her own place and wrap her mind around what she had just achieved. Her investigation had finally come to an end, and she had closed her case. It wasn't the conclusion she had in mind, but it would be enough to land her a promotion. Taking down the cartel that had duped the federal government years ago would put her on the fast track. It was what they called the case of a lifetime. Most agents were lucky to even get one. It was the case the Supreme Court justices were made of, which was her ultimate goal. The arrest of the leader of the infamous Murder Mamas and the death of Monroe Diamond was an accomplishment. She hadn't nailed Carter, but she had done enough to make her career a long and fruitful one.
She took off her holster and placed her weapon near the table that sat near the front door. The tension that had been building in her body left her with one long sigh. God, I need a beer, she said to herself before heading to the kitchen. She put her hands through her hair and pulled it back into a sloppy ponytail before opening her fridge. The interior light came on and she grabbed a beer from the top shelf. Popping the top, she took a long swig before turning the head to her room. Hadn't that beer been there for three years? What are we doing? What are we doing here? Like, ew. The silhouette of the person sitting in the chair before her sent her into a panic as terror struck her. Shit! She sounded an alarm as she dropped her beer. Sit down, Aries demanded in a calm tone. Sam's eyes shot to her holster gun that she had placed by the door. But before she could even make a move, Aries fired on her. <coughs> ah! Sam screamed in excruciation as she fell to the floor. Everyone had always pegged Mia Moore as the most deadly murder mama. But Aries was highly underrated. She pulled triggers with less remorse than any of them. She had just blown off Sam's knee without thinking twice. I asked you nicely the first time. Now you don't have a choice but to sit, Aries said. Sam ride this blood soaked through her pants and she grabbed her knee in pain. Aries stood and walked over to the federal agent. She bent down in front of her. We wouldn't want anyone to hear you scream now, would we? They might interrupt our fun, she sneered. She snatched the kitchen towel off the stove and stuffed it into Sam's mouth, then pulled a roll of duct tape from the messenger bag she wore across her body. She wrapped the tape tightly around Sam's entire head. Anger flickered in Aries' eyes as Sam tried to scream through the tape. See, Mia Moore knew there was something fishy about you, Aries said. She just couldn't place her finger on it. Turns out, you're a fucking fed. Aries grabbed Sam's long hair and wrapped it around her fist until she had a tight hold on her. She dragged the woman across the floor mercilessly, leaving a bloody trail along the way. Get in the chair, she said. Her voice was so calm that it sent a chill up Sam's spine. The look in Aries' eyes was sociopathic. She had no remorse, no emotion. This routine was automatic for her. No matter how much she tried to keep the beast in her dormant, it always surfaced, eventually. Sam struggled to climb into the chair. Aries grabbed Sam's wrist and forced her hand to lie flat on the kitchen table. She pulled out a hunting knife from her bag. Ah! Aries shouted as she jammed it through Sam's hand. She used so much force that the knife went through Sam's hand and through a good portion of the table, keeping Sam in place. Sam hollered in agony. Aries was unaffected by her screams. The problem with taking out a murder mama is that there's always another one you have to worry about. We just keep coming and coming for your head. Mia Moore is my sister. We've been at this thing together for a long time. You took her away, and for that, you have to answer to me. My murder game is worth six figures. I don't do this for free, but the minute you put shackles around Mia Moore's wrists, you made this personal. You're on my bad side, and that's not a very safe place to be. Sam screamed. She cried, but her sounds were inaudible behind the tape. No amount of pleading would get her out of this predicament. She had destroyed an empire. She had dismantled a family. She deserved every bit of pain Ares wanted to inflict. And Ares was in the mood for punishment. Go ahead. <sighs> Go ahead. Me here screaming dulls de pain. Release endorphins or something in the brain, Ares said as she circled Sam like a predator, sizing up prey. Although it doesn't look like you're feeling any relief, Aries chuckled. 
She wanted to make Sam's death as slow as those years that Mia Moore was about to endure. She knew that the longer this took, the more her chances of getting caught increased. It was one of the rules of the murder mamas. Get in and get out, Mia Moore had always said. Don't let your rage become a distraction. When you get distracted, you get sloppy. When you get sloppy, you get caught. Tears came to Aries' eyes because she knew she would never see her beloved friend again. It would be too big of a risk for Aries to ever walk into a prison for a visit. They would be forever parted by the steel and concrete that would serve as a cage to Mia Moore for the rest of her life. That fact made Aries sick to her stomach. She had felt it before when Robin had been executed, and before that when Anissa had been killed, and even before that when Beatrice had lost her life. She was the last one standing, and it was a heavy burden to bear. You took away me family, Aries said as she stopped directly behind Sam. She bent down to whisper in her ear. You're a fucking pig. A fucking filthy fed pig. You deserve to be slaughtered like one. Sam's eyes widened in panic. Tell me. Is it true that your life flashes before your eyes before you die? She quickly pulled the knife out of the table and slid it across Sam's neck in one smooth movement. She walked around Sam's body and stood in front of her, watching his blood stream from her throat. Sam gurgled as she struggled to breathe. The sound was music to Aries' ears. You fucked with the wrong one, she said. Aries didn't move until all the life had drained from Sam's body. She then walked to the sink, rinsed off the honey knife, and then placed it back in her messenger bag. She wasn't worried about fingerprints because she had never taken off her gloves. She wasn't new to covering her tracks. There wasn't a forensics team in the world that could pin a murder on her. Aries walked out the door, disappearing as if she had never been there at all. Mia Moore had been avenged. Fuck karma. That bitch worked too slowly. Aries' version was much quicker and much harsher than the winds of life could have ever been. Sam would never get a chance to reap the rewards of taking down the cartel. She was being promoted all right. She was going up into the heavens. Aries had made sure of it. Where are my keys? Breeze whispered to herself as she opened up her kitchen drawers. Monroe was in trouble. She had heard it in his voice that he planned on doing something stupid. Her nephew needed her. Monroe needed her. And as she frantically ripped her home apart, she could feel tears building in her eyes. Damn it! She screamed. She rushed into the master bedroom and opened her nightstand in no avail. She sighed and then hurriedly went to Zaire's side of the bed. She opened the drawer. She rummaged through his belongings, and relief flooded her when she located her Ben's fob in the mess. Just as she was about to close the drawer, a picture caught her eye. She frowned as she stared at her own mugshot. Flipping it around, she read the inscription on the back. Just a friendly reminder of what's at stake. Get my evidence. Either bring down the cartel or you fall with them. Evidence, Breeze thought. She dropped the photo as if suddenly it was hot to the touch. She went back into the drawer. Breeze had never snooped on Zaire. She had never felt the need to invade his privacy. She trusted him, but now her antennas were up. Monroe was in trouble, and now Breeze suspected Zaire was a reason behind it. <clears throat> the sound of Zaire clearing his throat made her freeze. What are you doing? Zaire asked. What did you do? She shot back accusatory as she stared at him with disappointment in her eyes. He didn't even have to respond for her to know the answer. The look of guilt and sorrow that spread on his face told it all. 
She bent down and snatched the picture off the floor. She read the back aloud. Either bring down the cartel or you fall with them. She had been shouting and she hadn't even realized it. I can explain, he stated. You're talking to the feds, Bree surmised as a queasiness settled in her stomach. She didn't know if it was a pregnancy or the revelation that had come to light, but all of a sudden she felt sick. I had to be. They were closing in on. They're coming from Monroe right now. While I'm standing here arguing with you, they're storming my parents' estate, Bree shouted in disbelief. I trusted you. We all trusted you. Let me explain it to you. I did this all for you, he said. The way she was looking at him was breaking his heart. You know me. Just hear me out. I don't know anything about you, she said. She turned around and rushed to the bathroom, locking the door behind her. She barely made it to the toilet before vomit erupted. She was hot, literally and figuratively. Sweat beads built on her forehead as her anger pulsed. B, you have to calm down. The stress ain't good for the baby. Just let me in. Let me tell you how it came to this, Zaire pleaded. She didn't respond. Her heart was so wounded that it felt like it had lost its beat. She climbed to her feet and turned on the faucet. She cupped her hands under the water and took some into her mouth, gargling. She then splashed water over her face, completely overwhelmed. Breeze, open this door. Let me talk to you, B. I love you. It was all for you. Just hear me out. She heard him, but she had no response. Breeze couldn't even develop the right words to say. She couldn't stop shaking her head in disgust. This was a betrayal that she could have never seen coming. Breeze stood in front of the bathroom mirror. Her head bowed as she gripped the sides of the sink. The knot in her stomach was so big that it felt like someone had stabbed her. She squeezed her eyes tightly while gritting her teeth. Betrayal burned. It seared through her soul as the lies she had been told were played in her mind. All this time she had been sleeping with the enemy. The deception that she discovered stung. It ate away at every memory that she and Zaire shared. She thought she knew him. She had thought they were soulmates. But if that were true, how had he so easily fooled her? He had been working with the feds and she had known nothing about it. Every day he had hidden it from her, which made her ask the inevitable question. What else is he hiding? It felt like someone had punched her in the gut. The wind had been knocked out of her. Zaire, a man who has shown her nothing but exemplary character and loyalty, a man who has saved her life, a man she had given 100% of herself to had turned snitch. It felt like a bad dream. Zaire was nothing like the man she thought him to be. In her family's book, there was nothing lower than a nigga who didn't stand tall when his back was against the wall. Even Breeze, with her privileged and spoiled ways, knew that to cooperate was to betray every moral that had been drilled into her since birth. He had dishonored his name and there was no excuse. Breeze felt like she didn't know the man she had lain next to for years. Breeze gathered herself. She didn't have time to do this right now. Her brother was in trouble. Her nephew needed her. There was no doubt in her mind about what had to be done. Her father would have killed Zaire for the trespass. Mecca would have tortured him slowly. Monroe would have cut him off. Carter would have mourned the betrayal. All these things would have been a well-deserving consequence to the choice Zaire had made. But no punishment would have hurt as much as the one Breeze was about to deliver. She opened the door to the bathroom, and Zaire stood, hands on either side of the door, blocking her exit as he stared at her with regret-filled eyes. Let me be clear. You and I are over. 
I won't give birth to the seed of a snitch. I'm aborting this baby and I never want to see you again. My family meant everything to me and you destroyed it, she said. She pushed past him and headed for the door. It was either them or you. If I didn't do it, they were going to indict you for the bricks that were in the back of the trunk from the traffic stop a while back. I cooperated to make sure that didn't happen, Zaire admitted. His words halted her mid-step and her heart sank. What? She said as she turned towards him. Tears moistened her cheeks as it all began to make sense. She could fathom this. She knew that his love for her outweighed all. It overrode his loyalty to even his oldest friend, Carter. I couldn't let you do a day in prison, Breeze. You're my wife. My rib. Alright, I need y'all to raise your hand if you ever called your wife your rib. And if you did it in your wedding vows, go fuck yourself. If I had to choose between my character and your freedom, you're going to win that battle every time. It ain't right, Zaire said, growing emotional as she saw pools of anguish build in his eyes. He, sh- he should have pinched his, his nose, like the top of his nose. He should have done that, like, ah! He quickly blinked away the tears and composed himself. But it was my only option. I came up with Carter. He's my family, just as much as he is yours. You think I wanted to do this? You think this shit hasn't eaten away at me every day? You can't leave me, B. You can't kill my seed, Zaire said as he got on his knees and wrapped his arms around her waist. He kissed her stomach, and Breeze closed her eyes. So many feelings coursed through her body. She loved and hated this man all at the same time. You're all I have left. You shouldn't have made this decision for me, Breeze whispered. My family isn't built on disloyalty, Zai. I would have done 20 years before I had given up my brothers. I'm not the strongest diamond. I'm not the bravest or the most gangster, but I am the most loyal. They are my brothers. We share the same blood. You've ruined them. You've ruined me. You should have said something. If not to me, then to Carter at least. Snitching is never an option. So now what? They get jammed up and you walk away free for dirt you all did together. You're supposed to be family. What future could we ever have now? Zaire stood to his feet and cradled her face in his hands, his face frowning in inner agony. We can have the rest of our lives, Breeze. Don't leave me, B. I just want to protect you, he said. Breeze took a step back. Her heart was shattered because she no longer trusted him. She had no idea that there was even a side to him that could do something so foul. She wanted to be his wife, to be the mother of his child, to be the ride or die on his arm, but she couldn't. I can't be with you, and I can't have this baby. I don't want any peace for you inside of me. I never thought the day would come where I would see you as my enemy, she said. Her words weren't malicious, but they were sad because they both knew that she meant them. He deserved them, and they pierced his heart like tiny daggers. Goodbye, Zaire. It pained her to walk away from him. She knew his intentions were good, but she just couldn't look him in the eyes. Zaire had been her king, her superman. She had looked up to him, placing him on a throne so far up that no one could ever touch him. By cooperating with the feds, she had lost all respect for him. Once she no longer held a man in high regard, he would be deemed unworthy of her forever. She thought that he would come after her. She was sure that he would plead his case over and over again, but he didn't. She was grateful for that much. Breeze didn't want him to see her break down as she rushed out of the house. This was the last conversation they would have. 
She had no words. There was nothing left to say. She climbed in her car and pressed the button to start the ignition. Before she could even pull away, the sound of a single gunshot echoed through the air. Breeze jumped, and her head snapped in the direction of their home. No, she whispered. She fumbled with the door handle and exited the car. But before she could even take a step, she stopped herself. She bit down on her bottom lip and sobbed. She hit the roof of her car. Damn it, Zaire, she screamed. She already knew what had gone down. She didn't want to see it. Seeing him with a bullet in his head at his own hand would alter who she was. She'll be haunted by it for the rest of her life. It was a punishment for the act of betrayal he had committed. If he hadn't done it, eventually someone would have. Instead of running from the inevitable, Zaire had welcomed it. He hadn't done all of this to end up alone. Without Breeze, life wasn't worth living. Breeze climbed back in her car and beat her steering wheel in frustration as she cried and cried and cried. This was not how things were supposed to be, but it was her reality. In the blink of an eye, Zaire had changed the game for everyone. She picked up her cell and dialed 911. 911, what's your emergency? I'm worried about my husband. I think he may have hurt himself, and I'm not home. Could you please send an officer out to 707 Susan Lane? She hung up and put her car in drive as she pulled away from their mansion. Wrecked with plenty of regret, they said wrecked again. She was headed back to Miami, where the cartel had begun and where it would now end. All because of the man she had chosen to love. So is she in Michigan? Because when Sam was trying to threaten Zaire, she was like, I." She got on the phone and called Michigan or Flint PD. So was she still up in Flint? I guess so because the the key fob, the 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 Mercedes. But I thought they had moved down there and were visiting her brothers and all that kind of stuff. I have no clue. None. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook, Leave a Review on Spotify, only takes a few moments, uh, then Leave a Review on Podchaser, copy and paste that into Apple Podcasts, copy and paste that into Good Pods, um, you can donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast, buymeacoffee.com slash sscast, or on the Good Pods app, there's a tip jar. Trying to figure out why there's not a tip jar for me on Twitter yet. I deserve one. But there is one for Return to Oswald. So if you want to go ahead and tip me there, that's fine. I'll take it. Thank y'all so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this feat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know my name,